Hey, what's up, man? Good. How, are, How you? are you? Good, Brandon. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for sitting down and doing this, man. This is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Happy to be here. How are things out in California? Um, good, man. Just just back for a couple of weeks between between races. Um, just got back from Tour of the Gila. I headed to Joe Martin and next week, and then uh, getting back, and I'm, I'm moving to a new apartment. So things are busy. Always moving, man. Yeah. Oh, always moving. Well, I appreciate you making time to do this even more. It's you got a million things going on. This is will be super beneficial though for so many people listening because uh you're just at the pointy end of almost every race that you do. And I've you know, I've really enjoyed following you because you well, I'm gonna ask you some of these questions of like the gravel and road. You crush both. And so I think that mystifies some people. And I'm curious what you do for training to stay on top of that. And the travel is a whole other thing. So um that actually let's let's just jump into that like how do you balance gravel and road or do you see them overlapping because of your strengths and how you race in both uh they they over i think the the fitness required overlaps a lot just yeah i mean i guess because of my my sort of natural strengths between um gravel and road so i really try to um narrow down my road calendar to just the stuff I that I really want to do which is which is the longer harder stage races and mm. um, longer single day races so so this year the only road stuff that I'm doing is um for the Gila Joe Martin um and Pro Nats um mm. and I'll do a couple crits in in Salt Lake as well as sort of a, a sponsorship obligation mm-hmm. um but yeah, the, you know, hard stage races like, you know, Joe Martin and Gila where you have back-to-back long road races and, you know, Pro Nats, obviously a super hard road race that, you know, that sort of um, is a relatively similar type of fitness that you need for for the things like Belgian Waffle and Gravel Worlds and Unbound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and maybe this, tell you would know better, do you feel like you're known so much for gravel worlds that people don't even know that you've done all i mean you've won stages in latin america and it's uh gravel worlds is probably like the biggest thing that shines over you is that correct yeah yeah i think so um winning it twice that's that's so the yeah pretty... that's yeah yeah i'm um real, real proud of that one for sure it's an honor um and definitely the like the american cycling community i mean what for you know to to whatever extent people know me it's probably yeah it's probably mostly for that and you know the i was on the podium at belgian waffle a couple of years ago and um mid-south this year so that uh you know and because of the place that gravel has in the cycling scene in, in the u.s so that that's definitely um i would imagine that's what i guess i guess what people know me for if, <laughs> if, you, if people know me those people, Dude, people know you man I, <laughs> people they should know you or maybe you can sneak under the radar if they don't but yeah I, i'm pr- pretty sure you're well known john it's so how <laughs> do you I, I was looking at um your coach are you still coached by endurance cpt is there pct out in uh is it california he's located yeah yeah tim fleming has it's the performance training center the endurance ptc cool so how do you guys does he craft everything for you or what do you as an experienced rider you've been doing this for i think like over eight years how does that work together and what's sort of like the feedback that you give him to help him get you ready for these big races 
Um, yeah, he he does give me give me workouts on the daily, um, and I follow them as as best I can. Not always, uh, not always to a T. You know, like the schedule is busy and um, things come up, and you know, there's always injury and sickness and travel and other obligations and stuff. Um, uh, but we've been working together for for four years now. Uh, so we have, you know, we have a close relationship and we both, you know, know each other real well at this point, um, which is super helpful. And so, so, you know, he's as much a, a mentor and a friend as he is a, you know, um, someone I pay to coach me. Um, but actually most of the training is based off of the results of, um, the, the inside, um, mm. power protocol testing that they do. So that's, uh, you know, um, I do a, a field test to try to get an accurate measure of my VO2 max and my VOA max and my anaerobic threshold, um, fat max, carb max, all that stuff. And we try to um, gear the training to uh, balance those, those metrics as best we can, um, you know, with the goal of having the right type of fitness for, events like unbound and gravel worlds which are the which are 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 definitely the um the biggest fish on my calendar okay that's awesome that's so then how do you because one thing that and i i sort of as an amateur guy when i first started getting into gravel people like oh it's just like really long and it's really long and then i went to my first few (laughs) gravel races i was like whoa they started full gas and so i think it's confusing for some people when they first start gravel racing how do you guys balance the you obviously have to be able to ride really far, but I think it's fair to say you also have to go pretty darn hard if you want to be at the front of the race. So how do you how do you see that for yourself? Like, you know, do you love long rides? You just sprinkle in some intensity through the workouts that you guys do with inside, or like how does that balance happen? Because it's it's probably pretty tricky. Yeah, uh really good question. Um this year I got started a little bit later on my uh my big training block, not until really like the second week of January. Um, so I, what Tim ended up having me do was about a six week build of almost all base miles and sort of that mid zone to upper zone two. So about, you know, in the neighborhood of like 60% of, of, uh, functional threshold, I was doing maybe 20 to 22 hours a week at that pace um maybe one workout a week i would do some like sort of a light vo2 set just to sort of um open up that system i guess but not really not like a full gas Mm -hmm. you know 30 minute 20 20 or 30 minutes at vo2 this is more like uh you know 10 or 12 minutes at Mm. at vo2 and sort of like a one-on one-off style of set Um, and I was also doing two days a week in the weight room Mm. but really it was just like almost almost exclusively just that endurance pace and and I'm um you know really trying to be focused about hitting the middle of that zone for as long as possible and keeping a you know steady cadence over 90 rpms for the whole time really just to um I mean, the goal of that is, you know, obviously it increases your endurance, 
doing big, you know, four, four or five hour rides back to back is, um, a great way to train for, for the really long races without, you know, putting yourself in so much debt that you can't recover in, in a reasonable amount of time. Um, but it also is a good way to, to boost your VO2 max. And my best understanding of that is by, um, increasing mitochondrial density with the, uh, you know, the, the long hours at, at that endurance pace, or like some people call it aerobic threshold. Um, you'll, you're, you're sort of teaching yourself to be a fat burner and that, that also somehow helps just increase your aerobic capacity overall. Um, so without doing a lot of really high intensity stuff, I think I did get a, a pretty decent boost in my VO2 max compared to was I, where I was in the off season. Um, but nevertheless, like I showed up to mid South uh, and just went without having raced at all this year, just went full tilt from the gun um, ended up, you know, cramping real bad, like three hours into the race, even though, you know, it wasn't hot and I'd been thought I was eating and drinking enough, but, but, but my muscles just weren't ready for like, you know, threshold or whatever, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that, you know, that I'm not sure if my coach would agree that, that that was the reason I cramped, but I think, you know, that, um, there's definitely, um, a place in training for doing those really high intensity intervals and, and especially for people who are doing like lower volume training plans it's uh you, you definitely got to get some some of those kind of reps in too i was rooting for you in the finish man it was and i had read something that was talking about cramping i was like that sucks that he cramped at the end of that i didn't realize it was three hours in so kudos for being all the way there john at the end when you were having quite a rough day uh midway through that thing that's yeah, yeah. thanks man. you guys survived that clay i think i still have some in a bike somewhere from that race like five years ago it's like oh here's the red clay from Oklahoma. oh yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah. you you mentioned the gym what are you doing in the gym and you don't have to get like too granular but i think a uh, huge question that people always ask is like do guys lift heavy do they lift medium do they lift light and high reps and do they keep doing it during the season like how does that unravel with your training yeah um sort of like I think this year it was about a 12 week plan was the goal. Um, you know, at the beginning, just yes. And like light high rep stuff just to get the, the joints and the tendons all accustomed to that sort of movement again. Uh, and then the first, first phase, I think about three or four weeks do, uh, more, uh, in like the, I think it was, I was doing, three sets of 10 for each exercise one day a week and then three sets of eight. So that's, you know, higher volume, I guess. Um, and then, you know, in the next phase was like sets of eight and sets of six. And then the last phase, like sets of five, I think. So, mm -hmm. um, sort of, yeah, sort of de decreasing the number of reps and increasing the weight as the, um, you know, as the, the season progressed, uh, depending on travel and stuff, I'll try to get in during the, the bulk of the racing. I'll try to get in a week or, uh, one, one session a week in the weight uh, room just to sort of maintain it, you know? Yeah. 
Do you guys focus on heart rate or just power or both? And you had mentioned, you know, trying when you're doing your big endurance blocks, like riding in the middle of zone two, um, mm-hmm. RPE at all. What do you kind of, what do you tap into the most? I, this year I've just been doing power. I, mm-hmm. I used to look at heart rate a lot, um, but Tim, my coach didn't really, you know, he'd never give me workouts based on heart rate. That was just sort of like a secondary metric to gauge, um, you know, how fatigued I was or, uh, you know, if there were, if I had other, other factors going on like altitude adjustment or dehydration Mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, but I've just had so many issues with those heart rate monitors and like, I I hate like, you know, living it like I've the last couple of years I've lived like five months on the road basically out of my van and it's just like another thing that I don't want to have to worry about so this year I don't even I haven't even looked at my heart rate you know I've been I feel like I've been doing this long enough that I can tell when I'm when I'm tired and when I'm blown I don't need a so like all my workouts are based on power which is like obviously has a whole nother set of issues with power meters or you know all over the places I've found too so you know I do Two different bikes can create problems yeah yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I try to have like, I, I don't have the same power meter on my road bike and my gravel bike. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I think they're close, but I think it varies day to day and who knows, man. It's just, you're going to save a ton of, sorry, you're going to save a ton of people like headache because people freak out and they're like, but the numbers aren't the exact same. Like you, it's never going to be the same. Like you're overthinking yeah. it. It's never the same, but you're probably within like five or ten percent, and that's really you know close enough to to be nailing your your workouts anyway. So I love um, that. Yeah. What's uh, switching off of like the specific training stuff? What's some of the best advice you've ever received over these years of cycling, of training, racing? I don't know, man. That's a good question. Well, let me ask you. I mean, I mean well. Well, here's, I mean, one, one, you know, one of the things that I really focus on is like listening to my body and feeling, you know, I'm not always like the most, that's something that I've had to work on to really get good at, to like, um, trying to feel how, you know, how, how I feel during a workout and whether I, you know, whether it's a good day to push harder or, or not, whether, you know, when, when to take the time to rest, when you need to, when I need, if I'm getting sore, when to do extra focus on flexibility or, mm-hmm. or, you know, strength maintenance stuff or, um, you know, what, you know, what to eat and what makes me feel good and what I need to perform well, you know, just, just trying to, trying to be in tune with, um, yeah, with how, with how the body works, I guess. This is awesome, man. One of the best guys in gravel is talking about, how, how I hear this is how many variables go into finding success in this sport. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, when I first started riding, a lot of newer riders, they want like the Bible, they want to read it. And then, then like a year, they want to have it all figured out. And yeah. they don't understand that John Borswoman is still finding ways through this. So like to hear you say that is incredible. It's like really helpful for so many people. What do you kind of, can you go in on that a little bit more? Because I think one thing that stuck out was, you know, when to push hard. And one thing that I'll talk to people about is when they might have a super busy schedule with work, a different type of, you know, they got family and whatever. So it's not the travel that you have, but say you're traveling around and you have like Tuesdays open and that's the day you're supposed to go hard. Like you're just not feeling it. Or do you ever feel like, well, shoot, this is the opportunity. Like I got to do it. Or is it just like, 
hey, I don't feel good. I'm not doing it. Like, it just didn't line up. Like, how do you go through that? Because I think as a lot of athletes, we see it on the calendar. It's like, I got to do this thing. And I don't know. How do you manage that in your head? Um, yeah, you know, usually I do try to go out and just start the workout. Mm. Um, and I kind of tell myself that, well, if it's, you know, if it doesn't go well, I don't have to finish it or, you know, it's not the end of the world if I don't hit the numbers exactly right. Um, but a lot of times like my coach knows better than me. And once I get started on that hard workout, I ended up feeling a lot better after the first interval or two, you know, or, or a couple hours into the endurance ride. Um, so yeah, usually I do just try to try to go out and, and get into it unless like, I know I'm actually sick yeah, or injured or something, you know, but if it's just like a fatigue thing or like, you know, maybe I didn't sleep super well the night before, I'm like, usually I do try to just get out there and at least start the workout just to see how I feel. Yeah. Cool. Um, Is there anyone's training or racing that kind of intrigues you that you sort of have your eye on, or are you more just in your own dojo doing what you and Tim have and focused on your own thing? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, yeah, definitely interested in what other people are doing. I I guess I don't talk to a whole lot of guys about it in depth. Um, but I mean, I guess the, you know, the highest profile gravel racers these days, at least on Strava would be, you know, Keegan and Finsty and the, down, down in Tucson, those guys do their, their crazy training blocks. And, um, that's always, um, yeah. Intriguing to see how many miles those guys are doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, and it looks like from, from what I can tell, it seems like, you know, there, there, it's just, it is a lot of base and they probably do do the, the racy group ride down there once a week. And, and I'm sure there's some other intervals sprinkled in. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. And I, I do train occasionally I'll get to ride with, um, with Chris Blevins here in, in slow. He, oh, just, he just moved out, but, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's got a little bit of a, a different plan doing, he's focusing on those, those shorter world cup races, mm-hmm. um, as well as of course, like he just won Cape Epic, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, some of the interval sets that he tells me about are just like kind of mind boggling. Like, you know, he's doing ew, whatever five minute repeats at you know 400 and something crazy Watts and doing that so so many times that i'm just like I, that's just insane you know i can't believe you're doing that um you know so it's yeah there's there's a there's a so there is a definitely a wide variety of plans but i think for the for the gravel racers it's for the um it seems to be a volume focus um strategy in general is is the is the way to go you know i look at some of these races you guys do that you know if i think of a race like 150 miles sounds long but some like you guys doing unbound and everything it's just whew, that was a long day of racing let alone riding a bike which is wild so yeah the volume has to be in there somewhere i'm sure what do you think yeah. is one of your weaknesses that you're trying to work on for this year if you want to share it. if you don't then we can pass <laughs> uh Yeah, honestly, I think, um, I mean, I guess in general, I don't know if you mean like specifically with racing or in general, but honestly, one thing I think that would help me a lot is, um, getting on a better, 
like a, a more strict sort of sleep schedule and and meal schedule you know i think like that's a definitely a thing that's you know been proven in scientific research to help just help people minimize stress and like maybe increase athletic performances to have like you know same bedtime same wake up time similar meal times every day um so that's something i'm trying to work on but it's uh it's that's never been easy for me um like throughout my early 20s i was always working in restaurants and doing you know getting off work at 11 p.m or or midnight and you know maybe hitting the bar afterwards so there's (laughs) i've never been much of a you know get up at seven every day on on the regular without an alarm that's that's definitely not me um even though i think so yeah i mean i'm trying to at least get you know move my life in, in closer to that direction dude that's awesome i love the candor yeah. because that's just who i imagine i'm like john borson's like eating kale all day and just like doing yoga in the morning because he's I just do. this ripper yeah well i do i do eat a lot of kale i do okay. like my vegetables <laughs> but, Wait, uh, but actually, I'm, more, so I'm, I'm more likely to be eating the vegetables at 10 p.m at night than i am at you know funny quick tangent i think that's actually subconsciously in my mind because i think someone was talking about vuelta ecuador after you went the year after we went and someone was like oh yeah borsman was talking about how much he misses kale i think that was (laughs) (laughs) probably was man those yeah that's my my biggest gripe with the the latin america races is the the lack of uh cruciferous vegetables (laughs) that's incredible that's incredible what is are you big into like tech and um because you have a look right now if people aren't looking at these <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a i'm sort of a notorious as a luddite honestly okay so Lightly, then like like i had to run you know my new ventum uh road bike this year is an electronic only frame set and I tried to do everything in my power to get them to um, drill extra holes for cables and, and no they way. just couldn't do it. So why, why do you want cables so badly? I just, I just like them better. I don't want to have to plug my bike into the wall. I, you know, there's, um, I like at Belgian waffle last year, my bike went into crash mode. Uh, di2 and it went into crash mode and i like i didn't know what to do i didn't know what it was it was like my first race on that bike um damn it you know and i'd gotten the the shimano specifically because like i'd had so many problems with the the SRAM front derailers on previous bikes mm-hmm. i was like all right great i got my boy my you know this stuff is supposed to be the best it's the most reliable and then like you know two hours into the first race i'm like three minutes on the side of the road <laughs> Trying to get how'd you figure it out so for people that don't know before pull down the little circular button until it flashes and then start spinning the crank because it's going to run up and down the cassette and yeah if you don't I know mean, that it's yeah you're screwed and did somebody help which, you on the side of the road there well there actually was a neutral service van like right next to the front group so he he helped me out but he had he said he'd never seen that problem before oh god um, so yeah so uh, and then you know it depends the, on the generation of di2 that you have too ah. like apparently with the i have the 12 speed on, oh. on my new bike um and supposedly that one you just have to they say you have to like shift all the way up the cassette and then all the way back down and then it's fixed um but the old version the 11 speed grx you had to um actually yeah yeah you're supposed to maybe hold the button for yeah. a certain number of seconds Five but seconds. The biggest, 
but you didn't necessarily have to do that. The main thing that you had to do was manually shift the derailleur with your hand, which isn't exactly intuitive. No, no, and like no, like it doesn't. There's no like no sticker that comes on the derailleur that says like, yeah, you know, if your derailleur gets stuck in the eleven cog, then you have to jam. Yeah. Get it to fit. It's like what you know, and, and maybe it's just me being horrible at descending. But I don't ride a gravel bike often, and that happens to me maybe once every thirty rides. Like I hit something funky, and it's just like, and I'm like, whoa, what happened? And I'm like, oh, I'm in crash mode. And first oh, time it good. happened, that yeah, it's it happened to me just the other day. I was out in uh way out in the middle of nowhere. I think God, I knew where I was because there's it's this road Maple Sally um in Pisgah National Forest. It's like you see some dirt bikes and some other random gravel people every once in a while. But yeah, it's pretty deserted. So if I didn't know what was going if it had not happened before, I would have maybe still be there right now. So <laughs> thankfully that didn't happen. What's so what do you find is you know you're got a busy schedule with riding busy schedule with racing what's your biggest inspiration to keep going forward because this sport is so hard you're obviously finding a lot of success at it but there's got to be times where you're just like oh man this is this is a lot like how do you just keep pushing forward and is that and actually i'll just leave it at that yeah i mean i'm i'm you know fortunately in the position like finally this year where i'm um you know don't really have to have another another gig at least during the race season so i'm i'm kind of all in on um traveling racing maintaining my equipment uh so that that helps you know i don't have a family i don't have a job <laughs> this is my life you know so that that's uh yeah, that's a little easier to deal with. And, and I do love it. I love the, I love these events, you know, racing is just, is still a huge motivator for me to, um, to get out of bed in the morning and to, you know, hit the road and train. And, and I love training too, man. Like mm-hmm. I love those long endurance rides. Like I, especially, you know, living out here and on the central coast is, um, an amazing place to just to ride all winter long. So uh, I'm pretty lucky in that regard, man. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything at this point. That's awesome. (laughs) You you mentioned you were in the van a lot. So do you have like a little, whatever people call it, sleeper van, camper van where you could just, that's your headquarters? Um, In the, yeah, I I do. I rent an apartment here um, too. And um, I'm actually moving in with some friends so I can have that set up year round uh in the future this the the last couple of years i've i've um sublet my apartment to somebody else mm-hmm. for the summertime and then mm-hmm. yeah and then i've got this van that i built out a couple of years ago it's like a big you know ford transit like high roof you can stand up inside i've got you know a nice bed in there um i've got a water system so i can do you know i've got a sink and a little outdoor shower in the back a little camp stove um you know some solar panels and stuff so so yeah like last summer i lived out of that thing for about you know f- four months pretty much give or take you know staying staying with people for here and there like you know lodging the night before the race is always nice to have a have a hotel or a, a b&b or whatever mm-hmm. uh, but yeah yeah pretty much 
during the race, during like the summer race season when I'm trying to live at altitude and get those adaptations for the, all the Colorado races in August. Um, definitely, definitely living out of the van. Uh, and I'll be, I'll be doing that again this year. Dude, Where do you so post up in Colorado? Um, anywhere with a toilet. No, <laughs> what? no particular so, city. Then? No particular no, city. Any uh, particular I try to be, yeah, try to be away. Yeah, I mean, try to be away from the cities, you know, as much as possible. And Colorado is great because there's, you know, and the national forest campgrounds are the best, honestly, because they're, you know, they they tend to be remote. There's the most of them at the, you know, the high altitude places. Um, they're not, you know, super packed or crowded, like, a, like a KOA or whatever RV park, you know, um, and there's, there's also a bunch of just like trailheads around, you know, not, the public lands are amazing that way. So yeah, trail, trailheads where you can, you can get away with parking overnight for a couple nights and they usually have some sort of a, a pit toilet or something. Um, you so know, any, just anywhere high like, altitude. Yeah. Which is, you know, in Colorado, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of high mountains there. So, I mean, the, um, last year I was, you know, with Leadville, I've had a lot of bad, like altitude sensitivity issues. So mm -hmm. I was like, really like focused on like, all right, like every night for two months last summer, I slept at between nine and 10,000 feet, um, which made training like pretty difficult you know <laughs> like it's like the, the the ideal situation is to like to sleep somewhere mm. high and then get down to five thousand feet or so so you can still do your you know your hard intervals and and stuff during the day um so yeah that that did that did take a big toll but like like my I mean, my favorite places are like the the san juan mountains down near like your and telluride is just spectacular and mm. um you know the the area around crested butte is is amazing um steamboat springs um leadville you know there's i mean there's there's dozens of places uh this year i think i'm gonna try to sleep a little bit lower for my altitude block maybe seven to eight thousand feet which mm -hmm. will make it easier to get down to to those those lower elevations so i can train better did that help being that high or was it too high that it was just like rocked you a little bit uh i mean it definitely rocked me a little bit and I was hoping by being up there for so long that I'd be used to it in time for the race. Um, but when I got to Leadville, like Leadville, I was like that first effort was so hard and I just like couldn't ride over, you know, I was like stuck in my tempo zone the whole race. Like even on the big climbs, I couldn't get over zone three Watts. You know, I finished a long ways. I finished like an hour behind Keegan. Wow. Um, <laughs> which is a little depressing. <laughs> but then, you know, I did lead boat too. So the next day I went to steamboat and steamboat is a little lower. It's like, you know, 65, 7,000 feet. Um, and I was able to just, you know, stupidly get in the breakaway right off, right off the bat. And I was, you know, I was in the break with two other guys for the whole day. And we, we had a gap up to eight minutes, a hundred miles into the race, um, the day after Leadville. So I, yeah. I think it like it did, it definitely helped. The altitude definitely helped, but I don't know if it helped as much as if I'd just, you know, done a normal load of training. Mm, and see right, <laughs> right, right. Dang, yeah, it's tricky. It's hard it's, to it's hard to figure out all the different factors, you know. It really is, and how everybody's like so individualized, and how it changes over time. And I know, 
I can only show up and race. And by day three, I'm done. Like there's no, like paddle. I was at Ecuador. Ecuador got slaughtered. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Oh, had been dropped. Was telling teammates were trying to wait. I'm like, guys, just go. This is like pathetic. Like I would have <laughs> loved zone three Watts. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was bad. What? Sure. Go ahead. Ecuador, is, Ecuador is gnarly. Yeah. That's, I mean, what the last six stages of that race, either, I think you like either started or finished at over 9,000 feet. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's just like, it's like doing Leadville like five days in a row. I mean, not quite, but yeah, but. It, was, it was something. It was something. That's for sure. Yeah. What, what do you think is somebody's listening and they're thinking about getting into gravel? You know, you had a pretty fast rise up through the ranks in road first. What would you maybe give them as a tip of advice? Um, just how to get into this and how to start. Maybe they're a cap four or five, and they're like, you know, what do I got to do to try to just keep climbing? Uh, I mean, definitely just just race as much as you can. Honestly, mm. I mean, that's what I um, I've been riding recreationally on the road. You know, doing two or three hour rides, pretty much just on my own for like a a year and a half when I signed up for my first race. So I think I had a, a pretty decent aerobic base, you know, I was 24 years old racing all the, you know, the masters cap five guys. And, it, you know, it just really wasn't fair to them. I, don't think. Like I, was, I was just like in pretty good shape overall. And I've been riding a lot. So when I first got in my group ride and I was like, like, Oh my God, this is crazy. This is awesome. This is so fast. Like we're racing. Like it just, the adrenaline was like a whole nother level. So I was just like completely hooked, like right mm -hmm. off the bat, just signed up for as many races as I could, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's the best way to get, to get the experience is to just to, I mean, you got to do your own, you know, you got to ride your bike every day and you got to, even if it's just for half an hour or an hour, um, but you, you, it's the consistency, um, and you got to do your solo training, you know, so you can get that steady base in no matter what level of cycling you're at. Mm -hmm. um, but also to learn how to race and to learn how the tactics and drafting and how to ride with other people is just, you know, that's just something that comes with practice. So as mm -hmm. much as you can ride with other people, you got to do it. And, and, and racing is, is the best way to do that. Road racing, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, gravel racing is, if, especially if you're new to it, I, you know, you're probably just going to be stuck out there pedaling at 15 miles an hour for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, there's only so much you can learn by doing that. But like, you know, an hour long road race where you're able to like race the whole time, like you, oh. you definitely get, get some valuable experience that way. That's awesome. You had a lot of good points in there that people can definitely take home. What do you think? It sounds like, you know, you're trying to dial in things to help you still improve right now. What do you think is one of the main things in your daily routine that helps you have uh, a success in cycling or maybe even in life? Cause you've gone on some life tangents. Um, you know, check I want to hear all the things like, that you're just eating. thinking I mean, right yeah. now. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, eating healthy is good. Like making, you know, making my own meals, um, staying hydrated, fueling and fueling and nutrition and hydration are that's especially for the longer gravel stuff is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, but you know, treating, treating your body well on the bike as well as off the bike. So, you know, if you're going to be an athlete, you got to, you know you got to be kind to the to the temple as it were so um 
you know, that means, like I said earlier, listening to your body, but, you know, working on your flexibility, your core strength, you know, some, you know, doing some sort of, like, I like to do, I like to go for like a little walk every day to, to stretch the legs out. You know, as cyclists, we get like super tight hip flexors and, you know, like loosey goosey glutes and hamstrings and stuff. So I try to balance that, that a little bit. Um, and, and some, you know, some sort of resistance training, whether it's, you know, push ups or, you know, some, you're doing your sit ups or you're going to the gym or like I like to do some rock climbing sometimes too. Um, so, so just like it, not just, you know, you can be dedicated to cycling without like being totally like religious and just like totally focused in on it. Um, they definitely help. just, just trying to live. Yeah. I guess trying to live like a balanced lifestyle in, in general is important. You know, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Do you focus on aerodynamics at all? And I'm definitely curious because that's obviously a huge uh, thing that was in the gravel world of like aero bars, no aero bars. Now I'm using these short bars. You can't use those bars. You do. Is that super important to you? Yeah, man. I mean, I try to be like the only race. I guess I could have had aero bars at Mid South. You know, I guess I, they, they're never probably going to outlaw them at gravel worlds. Um, but I didn't use them last year. And, and I think uh, like they are, but they are against the rules at unbound and unbound is the, for the pro field this year for the first time, right? We can't use aero bars. So I, I think in general, the, the upper echelons of gravel racing are moving away from that. I think it makes sense because the races are getting faster. They're getting shorter. They're you're all, you're almost always in a group now. It's not, it's less of like the solo you know sort of ultra endurance bike packing feel where it's just every man for themselves and now it's it's a lot more of like a tactical game of drafting and you're racing at over average of over 20 miles an hour the whole race mm-hmm. for for the midwest stuff um so i i think aerodynamics are extremely important um but i, I think aero bars are are sort of going going away so i i try to be as aero as i possibly can without aero bars so like yeah i mean i'm using the full like you know flat bar uh venta makes like an integrated one piece bar stem mm-hmm. thing that's awesome um i'm wearing my you know i've got an aero road helmet full mm-hmm. skin suit yeah you know, is that the abyss save the legs still? put my hair in a bun you know, so <laughs> the whole nine yards um yeah yeah the avis the game changer um i like that helmet yeah Sick. it's really nice that fits cool. my head too some people don't like it some doesn't fit everyone's head but it fits mine and it's nice cool yeah finish uh this sentence i never dot 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 <laughs> like uh 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 can i can you come back to me yeah well that's that <laughs> <laughs> let me think I'll about, let you let me think on about that one for a second. I'll let okay. you pass on one question. Uh, okay, just got a couple more for you. What are you most looking forward to race-wise this year? You've talked about a lot of different races, but what's the biggest one that, and what kind of why are you looking forward to it? Well, I mean, I mean you mean besides Unbound? Well, uh, you know, you can say, is it just <laughs> because it's the biggest one? Like some people have, yeah. I'm just, I don't want to see the answer, but like sometimes you know, people are going to really huge race, but they might doubt themselves a little bit and they might pick one that's, I don't know. I'm like, you, yeah, you're yeah, really yeah. close to gravel worlds. Yeah. Like 
I don't know. What do you, what do you, so Unbound, but why? I mean, I, I do love Gravel Worlds. Unbound, yeah. Unbound is the biggest, but also, also because it, it, it on paper, it suits me really well. Hmm. Um, so it's, it, you know, if I were like a pure climber or something, then, then no, it wouldn't be Unbound. You know, it would right. be Crush from the Tusher probably or, or Rebecca's or, or one of these races where, but for like for like a pure like diesel roller like the uh, there's nothing better than unbound really i mean besides gravel i mean i like gravel worlds but i like that course the roads and gravel worlds are so much better like they're at unbound they're just they're miserable man like those roads are fucking miserable <laughs> just to be completely honest uh but that's just like you know that's what people love is like this is a masochistic sport um you know if you don't love beating yourself up then you should be doing something else yeah or you, everybody else who's listening you can be soft like me and you can pre-check if there's river crossings like a good key is asked hey could i use road pedals here and if they laugh at you you might want to go somewhere else like i love gravel worlds but i will say it was the first gravel race i ever did and it totally screwed my mind of what gravel racing was i've did other ones and i'm like mm-hmm. wait a minute this is way harder than i had expected so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gravel worlds is those Nebraska roads out there are just Amazing. so smooth. They're, they're they're incredible. It's like you know they're not. It's not like a perfect hard pack surface, but just the the pea gravel, yeah. the you know the soil composition, the you know the way the roads are graded and the way people drive on them just make them just buttery. So so there's nothing better than that. Yeah, there's no washboard. I don't even think that exists out there. And maybe there is sometimes well, like you can find you can find it usually find like it. on the roads that are like close to town they get a lot of traffic okay yeah there's washboards occasionally but it's not like the what it's like just you know 100 yards after the stop sign it's not like the whole road okay i have some nightmares with that but we won't go into that what how does that compare <laughs> have you ridden the gravel that's out west for the national championship no i haven't Okay. Um, but I'm I'm excited about that. Yeah, I haven't ever done that that race, the Robidoux run. Yeah, it's out in the same same town of Garing, I think. Um, yeah, I think my guess is it's real smooth. I've I've ridden like uh, some gravel near North Platte, about a hundred miles east of there. Um, that was pretty similar to the stuff near Lincoln. I mean, I think in okay. general, it's probably the soils like a little sandier mm. when you get out West. So I think if anything, it'll be like, you know, there'll be, I've heard there's like pockets of like sand, super sandy stuff. Um, but it's not going to be like rough, big rocks or like it's, I think in, in general, it'll be like pretty smooth. I was warned that it, when I was talking to you about the difference in the locations on Messenger, I, one of the guys from Gravel Worlds was saying like a lot of the middle of that state is sand. He's like, you need to skip this whole site. Like, don't stop there. You'll hate riding there. I have like huh. sand nightmares from Oregon Trail Gravel Grinder. There was one stage that was nearly all sand and my bike oh. was not prepared for that. And it was very sad. Uh, like a lot of five mile an hour riding and i was just not feeling that miserable miserable last question for you what do you think are top three skills for success and again kind of bike or life you've given a lot already but i'm curious what do you (laughs) like really any that jump out and i realize it's like a big open question but 
Um, I mean, I started mountain biking a couple of years ago mm. and that has just made a, that really just opened my eyes to how bike handling works and how the bike moves on different terrain. And I think that's really important. Um, I think everybody who wants to race gravel should, should at least rent a mountain bike a, f- a few times and just try to, you know, go hit some single track. You know, when you first get on single track, it's like, oh, this is so narrow. You know, I can't, I have no room to, to swerve or to, to avoid stuff or whatever. You know, it's, it's technical taking the turns and uh, picking your line and avoiding rocks and, um, you know, cornering on, on loose surfaces. You, you know, that's something that, I mean, you can try it on a gravel bike, but it's, um, way, it's just, I, I think it, you know, doing that kind of stuff on a mountain bike is, um, is just a really Im- incredibly important skill to have and it's helped my road handling so much too so I, I feel you know in crits and on road steep twisty descents just mm-hmm. even just general stability balance on the bike like mountain biking is huge let me okay let me ask a question because this is actually something i was just thinking of as i went from there's a descent here there's a race that i missed and i was curious how fast these guys in the race would have gone and it took me like 28 minutes and the front group was 22 minutes i'm like oh wow i'm getting shelled on this descent and i was thinking about if i rode a mountain bike though wouldn't you ride that differently because that bike can handle like the terrain better or like, how does that transfer? Yeah. Or is it just like also the speed? Like, I'm, I'm clearly just slower. And p- part of it is being scared. Like, I'm in this forest and I'm ripping 25 and I look and they're doing 30. And I'm like, how do they go that fast? Is on, it just... On, you're talking about on trail? Uh, it's on, it, it's on actually just like a steep... Gravel. It was more of like a steep, like kind of rocky... Um, It's a road, but it's just not... Okay. Yeah, there's like you know, big, you can easily endo at many spots yeah, yeah, and that yeah. freaks me out. And so I'm like, okay, yeah. maybe if I had a mountain bike, I would just get better at getting like going around that at speed or like, what do you think you picked up from the mountain bike that could transfer to the gravel bike? And I do agree after I ride gravel, I'm like ripping down descents here where, you know, it, 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 I see that, but I don't, what did you pick up from the mountain bike? Cause I feel like now I need to get a mountain bike. Yeah. You should get a mountain bike. <laughs> Yeah, so sell your gravel bike, get a mountain bike. No, I won't do that. I'm, I and maybe it's just that I suck off road, and like that's never going to be a plus. Like it's, I'm trying to go from like a two out of ten to a five out of ten. I'm trying to reduce <laughs> sucking here. Um, but, yeah. but but I think that's a big thing. For, like, how, what did you pick up from that that you couldn't uh, do on the gravel bike? I mean, I think when you're riding a gravel bike, you're always underbiked, pretty much, unless you're riding like smooth gravel roads. Okay. Um, okay you know anytime you're going over really bumpy stuff or you're going over rocks you're trying to steer with those like the little narrow bars you know you're you're um you know the bike isn't quite up to the task i don't think um and just having you know there's something about like big wide flat bars and and big squishy tires um and the extra give of the suspension that just like I think it just, I mean, it allows you to push more, you know? So like with the, with the gravel bike, you're always like pushing the limit of the equipment when you're going to sense, you know, whereas like on the mountain bike, if you're riding a mountain bike and you're new at it, like that mountain bike can take whatever the hell you're going to throw at it. Got it. No problem. So the the limiting factor is the skill of the rider. 
mm. you know, instead okay. of like the bike itself. So instead of pushing the bike to the limit, you're pushing your own skills to the limit, I guess, is what. Oh, is what that's perfect. So then I guess, could I, could I say then that when you're descending that fast on a gravel bike, like it is slightly scary because the bike is, that's how I feel. I'm like, this bike yeah. should, I should not be doing this yeah. right now. And I'm like, dun, 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 like, you know, like I just <laughs> yeah, no, put on some, is that like a, riding okay. a road bike? It's because you're riding. You're basically riding a road bike. Okay, you, know? you make me feel better. I mean, <laughs> I still know I'm slow. My friends are gonna laugh. The best way I can sum this up is I went mountain biking one time, and all I remember my friend saying is "less break." I'm like, <laughs> yeah. right, He's like, "Dude, just right, rip it. Right. The bike can handle it." I'm like, "I suck at this, but I so, can't." <laughs> exactly, <laughs> no, but I can't. That's dude. That's how I felt at Sea Otter racing those. God, so it's so painfully slow, you know, compared to what like those guys at the front are doing. You know, like mm -hmm. I mean, I've been right. I've ridden my mountain bike a lot in the past like three years, but I haven't been racing it for fifteen years. Like mm -hmm. half of the guys in the the Grand Prix have, you know. So I'm I'm just like eons behind them, and I don't think I'm ever going to catch up. Um, so no, you know, even if you practice, you're still going to feel slow on a mountain. Yeah. Bike. Oh yeah. I'm just really trying good. to like be able to do races here where i can like i'm fine going uphill which is funny but i would be getting dropped on the downhill so i mean and the other thing about descending on gravel roads too is i think even you do taking your gravel bike on some mellow single track will help you with that too just because it makes it like forces you to pick a line and figure out how to make that happen um you know as opposed to like you know you can haul ass down the gravel road when it's when it's straight and flat you know, but as soon as like you have to go around a loose turn or you have to avoid the the rut or the rocks or whatever, then, you know, then you're probably going, you're going fast. And it's like, and then it's like sketchy to try to make a move if you don't, if you aren't really sure of how the bike handles, but it's single track when you're going at slower speed in general and just, you know, trying to pick a really precise line. Um, I think that's just like, that's like, that'll help you with the, cool. the gravel descending too, for sure. Dude, I appreciate you doing this. This was awesome. You have many yeah. wise words and stoked for your season this year and excited to see what results you come up with and people will be rooting for you. Um, I'm going to post your Instagram and do you, any other socials that you use like Twitter or what's the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing? Just Instagram. Instagram I mean, like cool. I Facebook, but Facebook, I just, the only thing on Facebook is what I post on Instagram. Cool. Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Any last closing words? Um, no, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, just, uh, good, good, to, good to chat with you. Good to catch up with you. I hope, hope to see you at Gravel Worlds again. Gravel. And I'm actually, I probably, I don't think I'm going to make it there this year, but maybe I'll make it to that national championship. I've been, oh, there you go. Plans are, yeah, it was going to be too long to be away, like spending a month in Nebraska. I was like, eh, I get excited. And then I looked, looked at the itinerary. I was like, that's a long time to be in Nebraska. No offense to your home state, but it's just far from home. It's a long time to be in Nebraska. That's for sure. We, we, are, we, are, we are the last state. They did a recent survey on which states people would most like to visit for tourist purposes. And Nebraska is dead last. No it's way. The only, it's the only one that has like nothing cool, you know. Lincoln's way cooler than I expected. We stayed there after the first. Um... Yeah, but what were you expecting? You know? Yeah, exactly. Nothing. And I was like, whoa, there's actually people here. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh yeah i can see that it's not you know well come on nebraska let's go let's get up to 49 next year all right guys uh thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon